Well, I'm going to do something very unusual. When I'm in the same town and uh, just less than two miles from the same church I was at earlier today, and I know there are some folks here tonight that were there this morning, I really feel impressed to just sort of pick up where I left off this morning. So if you want part one, go back and watch the Yorkwood service on, on live stream. I'm going to give you part two tonight. But this is something that really has got in my spirit because of the times and because of the days that we're living in right now. I want to tell you what you already know. These are days of great concern, days of great trial in this earth and even upon the church. But I've never been more convinced of God's awesome anointing upon the church than I have of these last many months as we've been navigating through this. I had them bring me a report the other day. I said, I just am interested to see how many people have been saved during the COVID year compared to the year before. Because during the year when a lot of churches shut down for several weeks, if not several months, some are just now opening in some areas. In a year when a lot of churches at best could go to the parking lots or preach to a camera in front of empty seats and trust that people were watching by internet. It was just a, a different year. We know that. But in the year 2020, we saw 35,000 more people give their heart to Jesus Christ than the year before. 35,000 more than the year before. And I'm so thankful for people that have kept their faith and their trust in an awesome God. But I've navigated, done my best to navigate the church through what at least could be called a historic time. And right in the heart of it, the Lord took me somewhere in Scripture that years ago blessed me, but it came back to really speak to me in the last several months. And I'll get to the verse in a moment. I'm going to say several things leading up to it. But it's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. When Nebuchadnezzar went into Jerusalem and captured the city, he brought back several young men because he had big plans for them. He intended to school them, educate them in a new world order. Now listen carefully to my terminologies tonight. He determined that he would establish a new world order for that day and time, a Babylonian spirit, a Babylonian attitude, a Babylonian atmosphere. And he brings Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they became known later, Daniel and several others, into Babylon. And he knew that if he was going to accomplish in them his plans for the future, he had to cancel out several things that they had been raised to trust and believe in. Listen to my terminologies tonight. First of all, he wanted to cancel out their personality of faith or their culture of faith. Remember who they were. They were Hebrew children. They came to Babylon with Hebrew names, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, which meant who is like God. God is gracious, and the Lord has helped. The very meaning of their names were testimony 
of their faith and their commitment and their walk with Jehovah God. But Nebuchadnezzar knew he had to cancel that out of them and move them into a culture of dependency, a culture of socialism at best, a culture of entitlement, secularism, humanism. Did I ask you to listen to my terminology tonight? Cancel out their personality of faith. Secondly, he wanted to change their posture. You know the story, how that the golden image was set up and they were commanded to bow. But when everyone else went to their knees, these three young men remained on their feet. They did not change their posture. Can I tell you tonight, the spirit of this age is after us to change our posture as a church. Change your posture on sin. Change your preaching. Can't you dilute it some? Can't you just compromise a little? Can't you be more politically correct? Again, did I ask you to listen to my terminology tonight? Change your posture on abortion. Change your posture on same-sex marriage. Change your posture on homosexuality and that entire agenda. Can't you just change your posture? That's what Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to do. The third thing he wanted to do, he wanted to cancel out their purpose. Again, they were Hebrews, which meant they were purposed to be the people of God, to be the salt of the earth, to be a people of difference, to be a people that had a different walk and a different talk and a different heart than the rest of this world. And I want to tell you tonight, that the Nebuchadnezzar of this day and time, the spirit of this age, is after to cancel those same three things in us. They want to remove us from our faith DNA, our faith heritage, our faith lineage, and wash our hands of everything that we have held dear all these years. They want to cancel out the posture that we have held in the Word of God. They want us to forsake biblical mandates and biblical truth. As a matter of fact, they don't want us to preach absolute truth anymore. Well, I tell you, there's something on me tonight. Y'all better pray for me because I don't have anywhere to be until tomorrow night. The spirit of this age is after us to water down and forsake what we know to be true in the word of God and proclaim that there are no absolutes anymore, and situational ethics is the order of the day. If it feels good, do it. If it's what you need to employ right now, just go ahead and employ it. And forsake truth. The spirit of this age is after us to cancel out our purpose. Don't forget who we are. We are the salt of the earth. We are to be the city set up on the hill that we may shine the light in this darkened age. And the story goes on to declare that Nebuchadnezzar set up the image. And the command went out that at a certain time, everyone is to come and everyone is to bow when you hear the music. So the crowds gathered, the music played, and everyone began to go to their knees except these three young men. It's quite obvious who's defying the king when everyone else is bowing except three people. 
And so the word gets back to the king. and He's furious about it because he had big plans for these three young men. And so he brings them out of that public arena into a private setting. And he says to them, all right, I'm going to see if you will just try this one more time. Going to play some more music. Don't need the entire orchestra, just a few players. But when you hear the psaltery and the music and all the, the notes wafting through the atmosphere, boys, go to your knees and we'll forget this whole thing. Do in here, in a private setting, what you should have done out there in a public arena. In other words, I want to see if your private life matches your public life. You don't even want me to go down that trail right there. I want to see if you will just match up in here what you're professing out there. And I want you to notice what these three young men do. By this time, their names have changed, but their heart have not changed. They've got new labels. They've got new name identity, but their spirit is still in tune with God. And when they hear the king say, I want you to bow, their immediate response was, King, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. In other words, we're not slow. In other words, we don't need three weeks to pray and fast about what we're going to do. We can tell you right here, right now, we're not going to bow. Now listen, let me just tell you something. There's some things you don't have to pray about. I told the folks over at Yorkwood this morning, I was preaching years ago when I was pastoring my first church in North Fort Worth, Texas, and I preached on the Ten Commandments. I mean, I took one Sunday morning, and I gave them all ten with commentary in between. I gave them the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots, and I didn't hold back anything. And when I got through, a young man walked beside me. He shook my hand and said, quite a sermon this morning, Pastor. I'm going to pray about doing some of that. I said, well, thank you very much. Welcome to the wild world of sports. But I will tell you something, friend. The T's have already been crossed in the book. And the I's have already been dotted. And you can pray till the cows come home and you can fast till you lose 50 pounds. And it's not going to change what's forever settled in the heavens. And God's word is God's word. He hasn't changed his mind. And he's not going to change his mind. So pray about it if you want to. But it's not going to change the book. I'm going to run these aisles before it's over tonight. I can already tell. We're not slow. Don't need a council meeting. Don't need to take a vote. Don't need to think about, well, let's think about it. Let's talk about it. Let's No, we're not going to negotiate this one. We're going to tell you, King, we will not bow. God is able to keep us from your fire. He will deliver us from your hand. But if not, be it known to you this day, we have no intention of bowing down today. And this brings me to my verse, verse number 19. When the king heard this, the Bible said that he was full of fury. That means he was really mad. And the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You studied that out. What that actually is saying is that it's not just a frown, but it's a scowl. Muscles begin to twitch. I mean, he goes into a mad fit in a rage of anger. And you hear that in the command that he gives. He commanded 
that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He said to the most mighty men in his kingdom, turn the furnace up, not once, not twice, but seven times hotter than it is right now. Then throw them in there. And it poses the question, how do we live when the heat's turned up? When what was already bad gets worse. What was already hot gets hotter. What was already terrible moves into the realm of the impossible to deal with. How do we live when the heat's turned up? That fire was already hot enough to burn the flesh. It was already hot enough to destroy anybody that they would throw in there. But it's like the king is expressing, it's not hot enough to satisfy the vengeance that I feel and the fury that I'm experiencing and the anger that I have. So to satisfy this emotion that I'm feeling right now, turn it up seven times hotter then and only after then, throw them in there. And I thought about this and it occurred to me, could it have been that our enemy set back at the beginning of 2020. And he said, all right, let's see. Let's just see. Let me just stir the pot. And let me create this thing that we'll call a pandemic. And let me infect not one country, but the entire world. And by the time I'm finished, let's see how many will die and how many will get deathly sick but let's also see how many churches we can shut up. Let's also see if we can stop the praise of God's people. Let's also see if we can so oppress and depress the people of God that they turn their back on God and pledge their allegiance to this worldly order and this worldly system. How do we live when the heat's turned up? The pandemic in and of itself is enough to bring normal people down. But it's like the enemy said, all right, let's, let's add something to it. Let's put another layer on it. Let's create racial strife in the land. Heartbreaking, horrific, terrible racial strife that divided this country all over again. But it's like the devil said, that's still not enough. Let's put another layer on it. Let's drag the world through or the country through at least the worst political season we've ever been in in our history. And let's divide homes and let's divide families and let's create such consternation and such tension in the United States of America and let's see how the church acts then. And that's not to mention your family. That's not to mention what you've been through personally or individually. It's like every other day the heat has been turned up not once, not twice, but seven times hotter than we've ever known it in our lifetime before. How do you live when the heat's turned up? Oh, don't answer yet. Let's talk to a few people. First of all, let's talk to Job. Job, how do you live when the heat's turned up? Oh, first of all, Job, you remind us that one day you were the greatest man in all the East. 
But it seems like the next day the dominoes begin to fall and the house begin to crumble because the first thing we hear is that your cattle and your livestock have been stolen. That means your livelihood is gone. Then the next thing we hear is that your kids have been killed in a storm that came and disintegrated the house where they had all gathered at the eldest brother's house. But that's not all, Job. Now we understand that you're sick from head to toe. From your head to your feet, you're covered in sores and disease racks your body. Wait a minute, Job, that's not all. You've got three friends that have come to help you, supposedly, but all they want to do is question your ethics and question your integrity, and they're staring at you, and, and they don't have anything to contribute to your faith. As a matter of fact, one of them looked at him and said, what in the world did you do to make God so mad at you? Job, I feel sorry for you, buddy. It's just one thing after the next, but that's not all. You've got a little wife over here, and she's lost the same house, and she's lost the same kids, and she loves you, and she knows you're sick but now she listens to these men berate her husband she can't take it anymore and she wants to know how long are you going to try to maintain integrity with God and Job I just heard what she said she said Job curse God and die how do you live when the heat's turned up Job don't answer yet let's talk to David David you just came in from a military campaign to a place called Ziklag only to discover that your houses have been burned down, your treasures have been stolen, your families have been taken away, and now the very people you've been leading turn on you, and they want to kill you and raise up new leadership because they don't think you've led effectively in a time of crisis. Ain't a pastor in this house ain't heard that one. Well, he could have done differently if he'd have just wanted to. How do you live when the heat's turned up? Well, David, what are you going to do? Here's what David would say. David would say, I'll tell you how you live when the heat's turned up. I called for the priest ephod, which means I got in the presence of the Lord. And I decided, you know what, I'm just going to stand here and encourage myself in the Lord my God. I can almost hear David go through the old songbook called the Book of Psalms, the Old Testament hymn book. And he said, the Lord is still my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. My God, I can hear David say, bless the Lord, oh my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. The name of the Lord shall be praised. And the Bible said David recovered all. What are you going to do, Job? How do you live? I can almost hear Job say, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I've made up my mind I was naked when I got here and I'll be naked when I leave here. But while I am here, I'm going to bless the name of the Lord because he gave it to me and he can take it away. And the Bible said in all this, Job sinned not, neither did he charge God foolishly and his latter end was greater than his beginning. I can almost see Job wrap his arms around his wife and say, sweetheart, here's the deal. If we can curse God and die, we can bless God and live. And I can... When the heat's turned up, you turn your face toward heaven. You raise your hands toward glory, and you say, praise God anyhow. Oh, why don't you praise him right now in this house, somebody? I feel the Holy Ghost in my soul. Woo! 
I tell you what, I got more preach on me than I do anything else tonight. What a question. What a question. How have we lived this year with the heat turned up? Living through a time our forefathers preached about. Living right in the middle of Matthew 24. How do you live when the heat's turned up? Well, first of all, when the heat's turned up, you remain convinced and you don't compromise. Listen to their language. Their language speaks of great confidence, Brother Adrian. They said, King, we're not slow to answer you. Our God is able. Oh, I wish I had time to take off on that. God is able. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. God is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the throne. I wish I had time to go there. Listen to their confidence. God is able and our God will deliver us out of your hand. You remain convinced and you don't compromise. Now let's talk about compromise a minute. Compromise in and of itself is not necessarily a terrible word until it begins to encroach upon ethics and integrity and violate Scripture. Now, we understand compromise. I promise you, if you're married, you understand compromise. It's called give and take. Matter of fact, a great theologian of not all that long ago by the name of Glenn Campbell put it in a song. He said, there's been a load of compromising on the road to my horizon. <laughs> compromise usually comes into play when you have a hope that you can change something and you're willing to lay something on the table if someone else is willing to lay something on the table and both of you walk away with a win-win situation. But again, when it breaks integrity in Scripture, there is no place for compromise. The other thing about compromise is if you already know what the outcome is, there's no point in compromise. The only reason you enter into a negotiation or compromise with anyone is if you hope something will change because of the compromise you make. And these three young men knew when this day is over, King, it's not a matter of fire or no fire. It's a matter of we will be in the hand of God. That's the end result. And when you already know, King, how it's going to turn out, nothing we say and nothing we do is going to change this situation. So we're just going to flat out tell you no. What part of no are you having trouble with? Now, it's Sunday night, and there are no time restraints on me here. I've never in my years of ministry seen the spirit of compromise make a bold, in-your-face attempt on the church. 
I never thought I would be talking about things I'm talking about these days. Never thought I'd be trying to navigate our denomination through some things knocking on the door, pounding on the door. I'm among friends here tonight. I'm just going to be bluntly honest with you. There's some things being belched out of Washington, D.C. right now that are creeping in to our sacred institutions. The spirit of this age has been waiting on this moment. There has been enough praying saints to push it back until right now. But the devil has said, I'm going to pull out all the stops and I'm going to throw everything I can at you. And if I have my way, the devil is saying, when this is over, this thing called the Equality Act is going to be pushed down your throat. And God help us if and when that day comes. And this gay and lesbian agenda that's being propagated in this country right now and I hope I don't get you thrown off of Facebook Live because I've already been threatened once at one place. But they're pounding on our doors saying we're going to win this one. I want to tell you what I've been telling folks lately. God may be getting me ready for a jail and prison ministry. I may wake up, Brother Adrian, one Sunday morning and find out that what I preach ain't even legal anymore. We may wake up one day and find out that the names we put on our bathrooms aren't even legal anymore because of this crazy, mixed-up society that we live in today. But you listen to this preacher. I didn't come to start compromising tonight. I didn't come to make plans and, and, and play games with the devil. I didn't come to meet him on his turf. I came to stand by the validity of the holy word of God. I still believe in the book. Oh, I know. I know this preach is great in a Western North Carolina camp meeting, but I want to tell you it's preaching pretty good here tonight because I believe it to be the truth of God's holy word. We cannot start compromising with the devil now. We remain convinced in God's word, and we don't compromise. And I still believe there's still enough praying people. If only in the church of God, I still believe there's enough praying people. But we're not the only ones. There's an army of praying people that are on their knees night and day, pushing back the very powers of darkness and hell upon this earth until Jesus comes back. How do we live when the heat's turned up? Number two, we remain positive in the midst of the problem. Again, listen to their speech. Our God is able. He is able. Our God will. Now, I'm not just talking about positive thinking here. I'm not just talking about some pseudo-intellectual psychology that just kind of helps you get through a bad day. No, I'm talking about proclaiming and professing the word of God, the word of faith that we're anchored into. Now, I will admit to you, these last 13, 14 months has been a breeding ground 
for pessimism, oppression, negativity. We all know that. We all know that. Our counselors tell us these days that they're working overtime, not just in a secular world, but in the Christian world. And that's so important. I understand all of that. But I want to tell you, Paula and I, my wife Paula, we made a very clear, conscientious decision several months ago about what we believe would help us stay positive in the problem, positive in the pandemic, if you will. We decided that for us, now I'm not saying you have to do this, not even recommending you, I'm just telling you what we did. We turned off the evening news. Brother Gilly, I turned off the morning news. And I'll confess to you, you're looking at a bona fide news junkie. I mean, I'd start my day with it, and I'd end my day with it, just flipping channels, watching most of the networks except one. I never did bow to one particular idol. Not going to call names, but it starts with C and ends with N. Well, something's on me tonight. I don't know. I don't know what in the world got a hold of me. I have discovered, however, when you get past 60, people are more forgiving of you. They'll just kind of they'll just kind of tolerate you till you get through. No, here's here's what we discovered that helped us make decision. Now I'm gonna give a disclaimer here. In the event there is someone here that works for a news agency, I'm just gonna give just enough room to get me out of trouble. For the most part, they quit reporting news a long time ago. And they started commentating on news. Commentary. Now, I can handle the truth. I can handle the fact. Somebody accused me one night after I said this. They said, well, you're just an ostrich with your head in the sand. You don't want to know the facts. You don't want to know the truth. Yeah, I can handle all that. I just don't need their opinion to go with it. Be sure and get a picture of me when I'm real mad up here. I want to see, I want to see what I look like. when. Now, that's one thing. We, let me tell you the second thing we decided. We decided we're going to turn this baby off about half the time. You get those reports every Sunday morning that tell you how many hours you spent on this. Am I the only one that gets that? It's shocking sometimes how many hours a day that I've been exposed to stuff being thrown at me on social media. So here's what we discovered. We discovered if they like you, they might put it on Facebook. If they hate your hide, they sure enough are going to put it on Facebook. <laughs> This really happened. I'm telling this really happened. Somebody came running down to my office the other day, pounded on the door. I said, come in. They rushed into my office. They said, have you seen what somebody is saying about you on Facebook today? I said, no, and I don't need you to tell me. They followed it up with this. They said, yeah, but, but aren't you going to comment? You better get on there and comment. I said, no, because I'm not going to give my platform to a fool.
getting all these little tweet fights with people I don't even know. They don't know me. They just trolled and they found me and they hate the church and they hate God and they just want to blast somebody. And to get back and forth in some kind of text conversation with somebody that I don't know and you don't know and I'm not going to change their mind is like sticking your arm in a barrel full of rattlesnakes up to your shoulder blades hoping you don't get bit. That's all I need. You can sit down. That's all I need. Aren't you glad we're not starting a revival this tonight? And you, you'd have to put up with this for a week. My Lord, have mercy. No. No, we, we, stay, we stay positive in the promise. What do you do when the, when the heat's turned up? You remain worshipful in the worst of times. Remain worshipful in the worst of times. Now, now let me just get right down to it here. I, I will tell you that the word worship is only used in this particular place where it refers to idolatry and idol gods. The word worship here is not even referring to Jehovah God. So how can I even stand here with the boldness to tell you that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego worship God in this situation? I can tell you because I know that when the fourth man showed up, that was proof of praise. That was proof of worship. Don't forget who they were. They were Hebrew children. They served God, Jehovah. And I'm of the opinion that God set back and he said, you know what? Those boys stood for me out there in that courtyard. I've got to stand for them in the middle of the fire. They didn't have to vocalize it. They didn't have to verbalize it. They didn't have to say anything that expressed praise with their mouth. Their very life was a praise. Their very witness was a praise. The very fact that they stood when everybody else was kneeling was a praise and a worship unto God. And when they walked into that fire, the king had already asked the question, who is the God that shall deliver you out of the fire? Same thing he asked Daniel, who's the God that shall deliver you out of the lion's den? Well, he found out who that God was when he stood upon the balcony and he looked in and said, wait just a minute. One, two, three, four, 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 three, two, one, whoa, whoa. I thought we threw three men into that fire. That's right, King, just three. But how is it that I see a fourth man and the fourth man looks to be like the son of the living God? Who is that God? I'll tell you who he is. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's Jehovah Shalom. He's the God that brought Israel through the Red Sea. He's the God that put the lions to sleep in the lion's den for Daniel. He is that God, and he's your God. The same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed, brother, and he will not change. That's how you live when the heat's turned up. Worship in the worst. Worship in the worst. In the best of times, the worst of times. Don't lose your capacity to praise God. Oh, why don't you do that right now? 
now. Lift your hands and just praise him, somebody. Somebody ought to write a song called He's Still in the Fire. I've been trying to figure out how to work that into this sermon. Think I'll work it in right now. Oh, my friend, you may be destined to face life's hottest flame, but I'm glad that I can tell you through the power of Jesus' name, not one flame of fire will harm you. You'll come through it and you'll tell yesterday, today, forever. God is still alive and he's well. He's still in the fire and he's walking in the flame and he'll be there to help you when you call upon his name. And he can still deliver by his almighty power. While here below, it's good to know he's still in the fire. How many want me to just tear loose and sing that song? It's on that CD right there. You've already preached 35 minutes. You can't handle a song like that. I'm telling you right now. How do we live when the heat's turned up? We remain convinced. We don't compromise. We stay positive in the problem. We worship in the worst. But here's, here's the one I'll end on this. We rest in our resolve. Rest in your resolve. Go back and look at their speech, their language. King, we're not slow to give you an answer. The Lord is able to deliver us from the fire. He will deliver us out of your hand. Here it comes. But if not, be it known to you this day, we will not bow. What is that? What does that phrase mean? But if not, what is, what is that? Does God need a disclaimer? Does God need a side door to exit out of if things get too hot and he just needs to escape and leave us all by ourselves to deal with this? Does God need a soft cushion for a soft place to land in case he fails us and falls and doesn't come through like we think he's going? No, that's not a disclaimer at all. When they said, but if not, it really didn't have anything to do with what God was going to do or not going to do. It had everything to do with how they were going to live. They were resolved. And I can almost hear them say, King, we're not serving God for what he dumps out of his hand toward us. We're serving God for what he has in his heart for us. And he ain't never done us nothing but good. 
But if not, how do you live with that kind of heat? Brother Gilly, I've spent a lot of time this last 12, 13, 14 months, it feels like 60 years. I've left my prayer closet. I've walked through the park that's close to my house where I pray a lot. And I've had to walk out of those closets and walk through that park and kneel in my place in my office, and I've had to get up with that phrase, God, this is what I'm believing for. This is what I'm trusting you for. This is what I'm asking you for. But if not. See, some folks like to take that right out of the Bible. They don't know what to do with that. But I've had to walk away from those prayer times with that depth of resolution that says, God, come what may. My old daddy used to say, hell or high water. I'm not turning my back on him now. 